Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Today's news that the European Central Bank will yet again raise interest rates led to tetchy exchanges in the Dáil, with the Tánaiste comparing Sinn Féin's Pierce Doherty to the UK's ill-fated former Chancellor. I used to think it would take two years for Sinn Féin to wreck our economy. I think it would take only one budget, one budget by Quasi Doherty. Meanwhile, the coalition parties enjoyed a post-budget boost in the opinion polls. A case of rose-tinted glasses, or are they back in the good books? And later, Kanye, Qatar, and the end of the Ford Fiesta. We discuss the stories you might have missed this week. Join the conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight, VMTV. tonight. Borrowing costs for many mortgage holders are set to rise yet again after the European Central Bank today announced the increase of its main lending rate by 0.75%. This latest hike means that interest rates have now jumped from 0 to 2% since July. Well, joining me to discuss who will bear the brunt is Fianna Fáil Senator Lorraine Clifford-Lee, Sinn Féin TD Matt Carthy, journalist Sinead Ryan, and via Skype this evening, Professor of Economics at the University of Limerick, Stephen Kinsley. You're all very welcome to the programme. Sinead, I'm going to start with you, I suppose, for tracker rate mortgage <laughs> holders in this country. I am conscious that it's the third letter through mm. the door in a short period of time to say that your mortgage is about to go up and quite significantly. It is, and actually, by all accounts, it'll be the third of possibly five letters uh, that they'll get in total. So it is a pretty scary prospect now to some extent. I suppose tracker customers have had an easy enough time of it over the last decade. They have underpaid on their mortgage to all, to all intents and purposes. That'll come as cold comfort now to them, getting these massive hikes because they are the most sensitive to whatever is happening at the moment. Uh, likewise, variable rate customers, their rates are going to go up. They're already on very high rates, uh, relatively speaking, so they'll be getting a big shock, but presumably they have an option now they can go and fix. And the only ones really safe at the moment are the people still within fixed rate contracts, but they're going to get their shock the next time round when that happens. And we always think about mortgages, don't we, when we talk about interest rates, but it's a lot more than that. It's your credit card, it's your car loan, it's your home improvement loan. In an era of rising interest rates, uh, and indeed 
rampant inflation as we have at the moment, it really does impact across the board. So all borrowing and all access to credit actually becomes a lot more expensive. Now we've seen the non-bank lenders particularly, uh, not the mainstream banks, but the, you know, the likes of Avant and Finance Ireland, they've had to pivot very, very quickly because they don't borrow their money from the European Central Bank. They have to buy it on the market. So rather than being outliers, you know, they are the, the kind of the forewarners of what's to come. But anybody now running a business looking for overdraft facilities, as you said, credit cards, personal loans, car loans, all that kind of stuff is going to end up being impacted down the line. Maybe not this month or next month, but certainly as refinancing options become available. And it really is an expensive business. Um, in particular, I think the mortgage holders that will feel uh, quite a lot of pain are those who are, are kind of called in the, the terminology for them are cured loans. In other words, they wear in arrears, they have since been sold on, they're back making their payments. But in a lot of cases, they've been sold on to uh, investment funds. And as a result, they don't get the option to switch or to fix or to do lots of things that other people can. And you might find some of them now in serious trouble and maybe tipping back into arrears. So, so across the board, uh, there's nobody really that has that has gained out of this, Kira. Yeah, and we did talk, as you say, about the people who are unfixed. At the moment, they're in a good position. And in general, the variable customers haven't been affected at this point. The banks have been fairly restrained, haven't they? But well, is the feeling that that's not really going to continue They have longer? been restrained At very high rates, I should point out, <laughs> at very high rates. I know what you're going to say. Well, they've been restrained because it suits them to be restrained. I mean, we're, we're not quite at the charitable bank stage yet. Uh, they want really to make sure that they get the customers, you know, maybe they're exiting other providers. Uh, it won't really last. Uh, AIB put up took partial rate increases the last time around, only, it was only a few weeks ago, uh, but they only applied it to new fixed rate contracts coming in. I, I can't see them all really being able to, to be that generous uh, on this time around. Time will tell. We'll see. Obviously, the trackers will go up there just automatically linked. The rest of them now will see. It'll be a game, a bit of game of who blinks first to some extent. But remember, um, Kira, there's, there's not that many of them. Well, I mean, not that we, much choice. we have so contracted the market so much at this stage that you you have, you have three banks owned by the same group. So that's EBS Haven and AIB. That's all the same group. You have permanent TSB, you have Bank of Ireland. I mean, really, you know, apart from the non-bank lenders, that's pretty much the whole market. So and, and I'm just conscious they won't to... Be, they won't be long in, in applying. Yeah, it'll be first-time buyers, really, that'll really feel the pinch, won't they? Because they tend to borrow the, the most. They borrow their max. Uh, they will. They borrow the 90%. Now, anybody who's mid-contract at the moment just maybe needs to keep an eye on... That's, you know, bank... First-time buyers are stress-test, as they say, to 2%. In other words, could they afford to pay 2% over the interest rate at which they applied for? Now, we're kind of at... 2% nearly at the moment. So as a result, that they could come under pressure. Uh, and I would just encourage them to, to maybe just get reassurance that their rate is still going to be uh, honoured. All right, so the big question now then, Stephen Kinsella, we've seen these three hikes, is where do you think this interest rate is going to go? Well, um, listening to uh, Christine Lagarde today was very interesting. She said uh, that interest rates would rise. She said that it was uh, it, it, all but inevitable. She didn't give the magnitude of the rise, um, but she did say that it was going to go up. The market then priced in a rise to at least 3% by next July. That's another 1% increase uh, between now and uh, the middle, basically, of next year. Um, and that's with everyone hoping that uh, the Ukraine war ends and 
interest rates come down because energy energy uh, uh, the energy price will disappear. All right. So when you think about it, it's it's very difficult to to really <laughs> forecast beyond that. There's nothing but a rise indicated at, at this point. All right, uh, Stephen Kinsler, I'm just going to go back to the panel for a moment because I think we're having some difficulty uh, with your Skype there, but hopefully we'll get back to you. And Matt, your party was speaking today, uh, Pierce Doherty was speaking today. He said that he thinks that the banks should be able to absorb all of these hikes. Why? In terms of variable rates, absolutely. The Irish banks have been charging among the highest interest rates um, in the eurozone since the financial cr financial crash, um, they are in a very profitable p position. Um, I also think actually they have a vested interest in ensuring that we don't see a large number of defaults, and that's why these interest rates you know they would cause pain at any given time. But when you think of the myriad of costs that are just overburdening so many families, whether it be fuel, whether it be the cost of feeding the family. Um, the housing crisis in itself is having such a big impact. And, that, and how do you suggest going about getting the banks to do this? Well, I think in the first instance, um, the government need to engage with the banks. Remember that in the case of AIB, we're still a majority shareholder. I think we, we should be saying very forcefully that we want them to, uh, we want them not to increase um, the, the interest rates at this time. And if you allow me to finish my last point, one of the rationale for that is so that we don't end up with a serious level of default in terms of um, a personal debt. It's one of the concerns I have in respect of the cost of living crisis. It's one of the reasons why we have been so critical of the government's failure to introduce measures is that it is very possible that we could in end up in a scenario where lots of families become so overburdened with debt that they can't pay their bills, whether is that be their mortgage or whether that be their... Um, their electricity costs, and that creates all sorts so just, of societal problems. Just to be clear, you're talking about um, anybody on a variable rate mortgage, they shouldn't have to pay these hikes. doesn't matter what your house is worth, what you earn, you think the, the bank should just absorb those increases? What we're saying is, well, these are loans that have already been um, provided. So, yes, we're saying that in the same way as Irish banks saw fit to charge Irish customers more than their counterparts did their customers anywhere else in the Eurozone, that in this instance, you don't uh, increase the burden on, their, on those customers who Lorraine, have already paid above this, the odds. Is this something the government has a role in? Well, firstly, could I just say at the outset, I, I would you know, know that there are a lot of people out there tonight who are very worried, particularly the 200,000 tracker rate uh, mortgage holders who uh, Sinead said will be getting another letter in the post and they're looking down the line to further increases. Uh, so I would say to any of them to engage with their banks if they are feeling the stress. But I think any mortgage that has been taken out in recent years have been stress tested. There's some very good macro prudential rules were put in place at the time of the last crash. So hopefully we won't see the absolute catastrophic level of arrears that we did see in the past. But you the, think that people will be able to, because of that stress testing, that they, people should be able to absorb these hikes? Well, that that's, was the whole idea behind it, really. Uh, so we wouldn't have the catastrophic issues that we had in the past. Rates have been at an all-time low. Um, so they're, they're going to rise back up to normal levels to, to combat the inflation. We have a, a system of mortgage arrears resolution within the banks at the moment that weren't there the last time when, when the, the banks crashed. So that's all there in place to support customers. It's in nobody's interest for anybody to be getting stuck in long-term arrears and losing the roof over their head. And I know that people are very stressed out at the moment with rising uh, fuel costs and food costs and, uh, and all the other costs. And the but difficulty I don't, is I don't the think the bank... that you're talking about took place 
when nobody could have foresaw what the price of electricity and gas would be yeah. in 2022. Nobody could have the foresaw the cost of fuel and the cost of actually just Absolutely. getting to work. Absolutely, and that's why the government has stepped in. Groceries, but the government that's why the government has stepped in to provide... In. And for many of those no, if tracker mortgages... If you could just let me yeah, answer, just that, just let answer that, That's point. why the government has stepped in, providing next week there's going to be double child benefit payments. There was a €200 Euro, uh, energy credit, okay. and there will be an, a number of those okay, energy okay. credits to help people deal with the I just want to go back to Steve even here because I had to come up, cut him off there because our Skype wasn't working, but I believe you're back up again. Uh, I just want to go back briefly to the question of where these interest rates um, could go. You're saying, is it around 3%, 3.5%? That's what the market thinks. Is there a danger Indeed. here, um, Stephen, that the central bank goes too far and too fast and, and tips um, the uh, tips Europe into a recession? Is that is that a concern? Well, that's a concern that was expressed by the, uh, the Italian bank uh, president. He was, he was, he said the risk of Europe sliding into a recession was actually extremely high. I mean, this is a situation where you, you really can't have um, a, a, a world in which you, you know, you you say Beetlejuice three times and it, the it, it, the the interest rates just go away, right? That's that's just not what's going to happen. Um, so the, the the real worry that we all have is that at post July. The central bank simply has to keep rising uh, interest rates and without end, effectively. And we could be in a situation like the 80s, where you'd interest rates five, six, seven, eight, nine percent. You know, and that's a real, real worry, particularly if inflation stays uh, yeah. elevated. It's nearly 10 percent now. And, and that's a question I was going to put to you, Stephen. Is there any evidence that the interest rate hikes that we've seen to date are having a positive impact on inflation? Are taking some of the heat out of the economy? Is it working? As of now, no. And would you have expected to see it at this point? Because th this is the theory, well, isn't it? Take the heat out, inflation will fall back, yeah. and everybody will be better well, off. The, the, the idea is that you, you ca cause the cost of borrowing to rise. That reduces economic activity, and in so doing, uh, reduces sales, and that's what actually reduces inflation. Uh, because that's not where inflation is coming from, it's not coming from people with too much money spending too much stuff. It's, it's actually coming from the cost of energy rising too fast. So you're going to have to do a lot of damage to the demand side in order to and, and cause a recession effectively or try to in order to okay. moderate inflation in that way. It's a really brutal tool that the um, central bank is using, but it's their only tool. Uh, what about this idea, as suggested by Sinn Féin today, and I'm sure other opposition, that the bank should be able to absorb these hikes? Is that realistic, do you think? Well, I, it's an interesting policy. I'd like to see it worked out more. I mean, I think there's no such thing as a bad policy on paper, uh, but you you have to tease out the policy implications uh, uh, here and there. I mean, there's no doubt that some corporate entities have made massive profits over the last couple of um, quarters. And so I'm, I'm, and not all banks are in that uh, category, uh, but some banks are. And so it's definitely worth studying uh, further, I feel. But, you know, as with all things, you need to look at the details before you can comment further. OK. One of the other suggestions today, uh, Sinead, again from Sinn Féin, was that we need to introduce mortgage tax relief uh, for particularly those on tracker mortgages who uh, are experiencing um, these big increases. We've had that before in this country, haven't we? We certainly have. Uh, it was a very popular policy and we're not in charge of our monetary policy, which is the interest rate movements, but we are in charge of our fiscal policy. Um, so we certainly could do something like that. Now, there's a huge cost associated with any tax measure and the government has already gone down the line of helicopter money, which is, as, as 
Reigns said, dropping money into people's accounts for things like energy, things it can do, uh, and, and they're all good policies and they're necessary, but they're very expensive. So offering a tax relief out of the budgetary cycle would be a very unusual move. It is possible. The problem with it as a tax measure is it doesn't tend to impact immediately, quickly, now. It's something that happens next year or down the road, and that just may be too little too late for some people. Uh, so, I, like, you know, Steve, Stephen's point that, that this is a blunt instrument, it is a blunt instrument and it could get worse before it gets better. Uh, so I think the government is quite limited in its capacity to do anything other than shovel more money at people. And that, as we know, is of Inflationary. itself inflation. All right, well, I just want to look at an exchange that took place today between uh, Sinn Féin's Pierce Doherty and the tarnished uh, Leo Varadkar over those suggestions from Sinn Féin. You spent the last few months calling for a mini-budget. After that, uh, you called for a limitless energy price cap. Um, and we, saw, we, see how that has we see how that has turned out in the United Kingdom. And now, and, 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 and now, you, now, you've another, now you've another set of populist promises to make, to take advantage of people uh, who have tracker mortgages. Like, when are you going to learn from what's happened across the water? Quite the contrary, Deputy. What the UK has done across the water, which they're now reversing, is exactly what Sinn Féin proposed. And now you have another populist promise that you want to calm people with. I, I used to think, I used to think it would take two years for Sinn Féin to wreck our economy. I think it would take only one budget. One budget by quasi Doherty would do, that, would do all the damage. Not Carthy. quasi Quarteng politics, is that what we're seeing here? I actually think it's really disappointing that Leo Varadkar has resorted back to these type of Trumpian attacks, so, you know, name-calling in the doll. Um, Pierce Doherty, and I'm, I regret that you didn't actually show Pierce's contribution because it was measured, it was an appeal on behalf of those people who are really struggling. Well, we've um, covered, in fairness, we've covered the two issues we've, that Sinn Féin have brought up today. But the point I'm making is what Pierce did in the doll today was raise what are very real concerns and outline what needs to be done to support those people. And yeah. the Tawnish resorted to silly name-calling. And I, I think that's just despicable. Um, uh, the mortgage so the, credit, the, how much would that cost? No, see, and this is, and this is the point. And if you, if you showed what Pierce Doherty had said, you'd know this, Kira. What Pierce Doherty said was, um, and encouraged the government to do, was to work with the opposition work with the Department of Finance and, 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 and let's together come up with a framework yeah, by which just, we can just, present a target... Can Sinn Féin put a figure on how much that would what cost? Sinn Féin they are, can't. What Sinn Féin are doing at the moment, what, what Sinn Féin are doing at the moment is engaging with the uh, Oireachtas, the Dáil um, okay. budget... But can you, because uh, as Sinead said, these measures are incredibly there's expensive, a, yes. there's lots of competing interests. If you're going to put something out there that's incredibly popular among voters, shouldn't you be able to put a price on it? So what Sinn Féin are doing, as we always do, is we're engaging with the parliamentary budget office to actually work out um, um, and the different options that are available. Because the alternative is, as Leo Varadkar suggested today, the government do nothing. Just pretend that this All hasn't right, happened uh, and allow those families that are... Okay. Very, well very briefly, in. let you respond. Well, right. they, 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 typically, Sinn Féin haven't costed any of it. They throw it out. It's a nice headline. It's a populist move. It, it, it gives some pe people some comfort. But there's no reality behind it. And we can see clearly what happens when you throw out things and promise the devil and all to everyone. 
it has a really, really negative impact on the economy. All right, Sinead, no, uh, I want to move on. It is true. It is true. In fairness, I think you've had a fair run here. Every point in our alternative budget is fully costed. You just said there is today. You just said that wasn't costed. It's not a big opportunity. I want to go over to Sinead because I want to talk about polls, the opinion polls today. Notwithstanding, I suppose, all the pressures that people are feeling at the moment, the government got a real bounce today in the opinion polls. What are they putting that down to? What are you putting that down to? Well, if you're going to give people money in their pockets, of course you're going to get, you're going to get a bounce. I think they probably uh, the are budget. It's a post budget bounce. It, for, it is a post budget bounce. It was a very generous budget. They had the money available. Um, they may not have it in future years, but it's there now, and they gave it away. And look, that's always going to be a vin winner. It's going to be a vote getter. And also, I think there's probably an element of is there is the alternative better? Uh, and people do want to make that distinction, and they want to sit down and think about. Are they getting? I mean, I was conscious that that some of the um, uh, drops were on the independent side, uh, and maybe people are feeling, look, we need something cohesive and something gelled in the middle. And the current government appears to them to be doing that for the time being. Uh, maybe, or maybe it won't last. Maybe it will last. But I think um, I, I, I think we have to see any poll like that as a snapshot in time and based on. But it's been quite a while since we've seen budget. some positivity, I suppose, exactly. for the coalition. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, I just want to move on finally before we go uh, in this section to uh, Stormont. And McCarthy, you probably were in this studio back in May, you know, this historic moment for Sinn Féin when they did so well in the elections up there, biggest party in Stormont. And now, five months later, we're looking at another election. Probably because of the result of the last elections and the DUP's refusal to come to terms with it, if we're being absolutely um, frank about it. Um, and I have to say, we don't want to see an election. We're talking about the cost of living crisis in this state. The exact same crisis is affecting people um, in the north and they don't have any uh, um, ability to see their elected representatives make the type of decisions that are warranted. And in fact, they are um, under, uh, under the control of a Westminster Parliament that is in complete disarray, as we've um, um, spoken about. Um, so what's we the plan B? If there's an election and there's the same result, what's going to happen then? So either one of two things happen, even the, either the DUP come to their senses, actually stop holding the majority of people in the North who want to see the institutions back up and, and running um, and enter the executive, or the, we, the two governments are going to have to come up with a mechanism by which jointly they can ensure that the public services, that governance in the North can actually happen. That's rule from both the UK and from Ireland, but the DUP came out today and basically said over our dead body, will that happen? Irene? Well, it's extremely disappointing that we're looking into an election, a six-week uh, election campaign, and meanwhile there are people in Northern Ireland that are going cold and hungry and are terrified about the Christmas that's, that's coming up in the winter that's coming up. All options have to be explored now at this stage. It's no longer acceptable that people in the North just give over power to Westminster. We can't stand over it. We're co-guarantors of the Good Friday Agreement, and I think we need to, to seriously look at that. All right, look, we're going to have to leave uh, that there for now. My thanks to Lorraine, to Matt, to Sinead and to Stephen. After the break, more paint thrown at precious artwork and Donald Trump throws himself onto the campaign trail. We discuss the big stories you might have missed with our panel. Stay with us.
welcome back. Now to look at some of those stories you might have missed during the week, I'm joined in studio by author and former Minister for Justice, Alan Shatter, business correspondent for The Currency, Rosanna Cooney, and Lorcan Nyan of the Communications Clinic and columnist with Independent.ie. But first, uh, while we've been distracted by the madness in the UK in recent weeks, things are heating up in the United States as the country readies itself for the mid-term elections. I'd like to cross live now to US correspondent with the Business Post, Marion McKeown, who is following it, as always, very closely. And I know, uh, Marion, you're about to get in a plane shortly and head over to one of those states. We'll all be watching Arizona. So tell me about this election. The Republicans potentially could do quite well here if they took the House or the Senate. What would this really mean for Joe Biden's presidency? Well, I think uh, that if the Republicans take the Senate and the House, Joe Biden can really just go fishing for two years because his presidency will be dead in the water. He will get nothing passed. Nothing will be done. The Republicans will make it their business, which they're campaigning on. To I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Absolutely support Joe Biden at every turn and ensure he doesn't get re-elected. It's very much about what they will do in a negative sense, really. And I haven't seen, I've been covering quite a few candidates. I haven't really seen anything positive on their platforms. Now, they are campaigning. It's easier for the Republicans at the moment. And the polls, if you can believe them, and you rarely can these days, suggests that the race is narrowing very much in favour of Republicans. Republicans are campaigning on tangibles. They're campaigning on the cost of living, which is really resonating with Americans. Uh, they're campaigning on inflation. They're these are all connected. They're also campaigning on how much it costs to fill your tank with petrol, which is the greatest indicator for America of, of how things are going. Um, and then there are a whole bunch of other cultural war issues, a subset, uh, you know, transgender issues amongst under 18 year olds, uh, sort of gay legislation, abortion, et cetera, et cetera. It's, there's a whole bunch of 
sort of, I would say, local cultural wars going on, the Democrats have a tougher hand to play because um, they're debating on democracies under attack. I think they're campaigning on democracies under attack. They're campaigning on sort of Roe v. Wade and abortion rights for women. And they're campaigning on, if you think we're bad, look at the others. Look at what the, look at what the alternative and is. Now, these are all sort of intangibles, whereas if you go and fill up your tank full of petrol, you go, my God, it's still $20 more than it was, you know, when Trump was president. And that is really, for Americans who don't have any money to yeah. spare, who have already trimmed the fat, they're really pressed on the cost of living. And they're caring more about doing something which they think would get relief for that. But I'd say overriding all of this is pure tribalism. And I, I mean that And in speaking the of that, that, I suppose, Marion, and you mentioned yeah. Trump there, what could all of this potentially mean for Trump and his and whether or not he gets to run again. Well, you know, it's interesting. He, he was going to announce, he said, before the midterms, and then he thought he'd keep his powder dry, because if he announced and the Republicans lost, they might blame him. Uh, so now he's turning up, uh, he's doing his sort of show pony thing. He's turning up in support of J.D. Vance in Ohio, who's in a bit of trouble there with the Democratic candidate, Tim Ryan. Uh, and it looks like Ryan might take that seat. That was a Republican seat for decades. Uh, and he's also turning up in Iowa for Chuck Grassley, who is a very old senator. He's in his late okay. um, 80s, early 90s, maybe. He's turning up for him. But he's also queering the pitch for Ron DeSantis. He's he's turning up so for he's Florida, there. but not for DeSantis. Basically, All right. you know, normally the, the midterms are a referendum on the current president. This one's a referendum on the last president, because that guy can't get off the stage. <laughs> We will keep watching then with interest as always. Mariam Kion, safe flight. Uh, thanks for speaking to us. Thank uh, you. Lorcan, I'm going to come to you because as um, Mariam was said there, these midterms are generally a vote on the performance of the president to date. And, you know, often they don't do that well, do they? But Biden is probably in a stickier bind because he's not doing that well in the um, approval ratings, is he? Yeah, his approval ratings are, are, are very, very low and, and pretty consistently low. And look, sitting presidents, the party in the presidency tends to do quite badly in the midterms. And, you know, that's most years that, that would tend to happen. Um, Obviously, once you're in power, you then get blamed for the vast majority of things that that happen. Um, I think it's interesting to even hear Marion there talk about Trump, you know, being out in the camp campaign trail because it's been notable how little Biden has been out. Um, and do you think they've done that on purpose? Have the Democrats tried to keep Biden back, hide yeah, him a bit? All of the all of the background chat would be that they absolutely have, and that they've they've convinced Biden that he can help in other ways. So you know, <laughs> so they're not using Biden, who is someone who can probably change the narrative a little bit because they feel he's not popular and because they're losing on the issues. Because what Republicans are very good at is switching what the issue is. And Marion's yeah. absolutely right; they've switched the issue away from something who's doing very well for the Democrats, and they've managed to drive it to crime, to immigration, and to the economy, which are always going to suit the opposition party, particularly for the Republicans. Yeah, because I'm sure the Democrats would have thought Alan Chatter at one point, given, let's say, what happened with Roe versus Wade, for example, and given the investigation into Donald Trump and the fact that he's going to be subpoenaed, that they would be in a better position now. But yeah. that's not the issue at the front of yeah, people's as we, got, as we got through July, August, I was in Florida, and the perception at that stage was that the Democrats were doing much better than would be expected in midterm elections. Uh, the tradition in America is that uh, whichever party has the presidency uh, does really badly in midterm, so there's nothing unexpected about that. But the January 6th hearings that have been taking place, uh, the threat to democracy that 
Trump is perceived to pose, uh, which is largely ignored by Republicans, but independent voters take it seriously. Uh, and Roe Ro versus Wade, the decision that set that aside, uh, reignited the culture wars and really resulted in a lot of uh, female women voters uh, coming to the Democrats. It seemed that there was a surge towards them. Now, in the last, couple, uh, last few weeks, uh, yeah, the focus has been on the cost of living, the focus has been on the price of petrol. But I think everything is still to play for. There's, there are a number of key constituencies. What I think isn't fully understood here is at the moment in the Senate, uh, the Republicans have 50 senators, the Democrats have 50 senators, and the key uh, vote on each occasion to, that ensures the Democrats will win is the vote of the vice president. Uh, in the House of Representatives, uh, the Democrats have a majority, but they only have to lose five seats yeah, for the so Republicans to take over. So this is very close. Uh, I think at the moment the betting is on the Republicans, but I wouldn't be certain because there's quirks in some of the individual key, uh, what we would call here constituencies, the key states, such as, such as Georgia, such as Philadelphia, uh, and possibly even in Florida, even though Florida uh, appears okay. to be more Republican than Democrat. OK, I want to move on to um, matters across the water in the UK. Uh, I mean, I, I can't believe that I was here last week, uh, Rosanna, and, I mean, the talk was whether or not the Conservatives were going to be utterly obliterated. I think they might have been if there'd been an election, but obviously that um, didn't pan out. Now we have Rishi Sunak in the chair. The mood among Conservatives seems to be jubilant. They were in great form in the House of Commons this week. Is he the man to turn things around, do you think? It's such an interesting one because I think he's obviously got an incredibly difficult job against ahead of him. He's had to create this really uneasy truce within the Conservative Party, hand out, you know, he's got a really experienced people around him, but he's had to make kind of, it seems, pacts with different people. I think we best see that with Suella Braverman going back into that role that she resigned from, not on principle, but actually because of a really serious ministerial security breach. And I think, you know, having to get all these people in behind him is just showing how, you know, how difficult it's going to be. And now he has to corral all these kind of fractured MPs into convincing them for, you know, to go for spending cuts, tax raises. And it's got a kind of a dark economic outlook alongside all these things. And is that appointment of Suella Braverman, is that going to come back to bite him. I mean, he went in there, one of the first things he said was, I am going to restore integrity into number 10 in the House of Commons. And he, he did trade it immediately when he brought her back. Completely. It undermines what he was saying entirely. And I think, you know, that is, that's not a confident alliance. That's something that's tenuous. And I think it, like, you know, it just shows that he's having to pacify these groups of kind of extreme Brexiteers that won't accept compromise. Mm -hmm and aren't very tolerant of compromise. And that actually could spell trouble for us with the Northern Ireland Party. Yeah, well, well, actually, speaking of compromise, I was going to ask that, what do you think he will do over Northern Ireland? What position is he going to take? Because he is a staunch Brexiteer himself. Yeah, you see, looking at the UK at the moment, it looks as if finally it, number 10 has an adult in the building. Uh, for the last few years, they haven't had adults in the building. Uh, but you have to remember, he's competent in various ways, he's articulate, um, he's financially savvy in the sense of not wanting to uh, totally destroy the British economy. 
But he's made... Things we don't take for granted anymore, do we? No, but he's, <laughs> but, he's made, but he's made fundamental errors of political judgment and financial judgment. He was an enthusiastic mm. Brexiteer. I mean, Liz Truss, who he replaced, was a Remainer and then for political expediency became a... Uh, you know, worked the Brexiteer route. Um, but he was a Brexiteer. Uh, when advocating Brexit, his eye was not on Northern Ireland. There was no thought given to the impact of what they were doing on the island of Ireland. And he was part of the Johnson administration. I mean, I, I think people are forgetting that. So I think the jury is out uh, on how good he will be, what type of prime minister he's going to be. I don't think he'll be judged on the Suella Braverman appointment. I think he'll be judged in uh, 18 months to two years' time on economic competence, on how, on how the UK economy is doing, uh, on where they are with their balance of payments, and also how he deals in the coming months with the huge pressures on people as a, res as a result of the cost of living increases and uh, fuel increases that are going to impact on their lives uh, in the next few months. Uh, Lorcan, I want to move on to um, the artworks that we've seen being defaced by climate protesters over the last um, number of days. I think there's been another round, um, I think in the last 24 hours, mashed potato thrown at paintings and, and paint thrown at paintings. Are they right, do you think, to deface these, albeit briefly, in the name of trying to make people aware of the climate catastrophe that's unfolding? Look, I I'm relatively torn on this because mm. anything at all that brings attention to it, I mean, particularly when you see the UN today saying that we're way off in the targets that, you know, based on the actual actions recently, we're going to hit, I think, 2.8 uh, mm. degrees of warming instead of the 1.5 that we need to hit. So anything that brings attention to it, I think, is useful. So possibly maybe the first time they did it, it was a bit novel, a bit more attention to it, there you go. Once you continuously do it, particularly when we all know there is glass covering it and there's no actual inconvenience being done, I think it starts making them look in ineffective. But I think any response to it that says, uh, could you not protest in a less disruptive way is wrong. We're heading towards an absolute disaster. But does protest that mean, needs to disrupt more. Does um, but that in mean, different though, ways. because these protests are going to get more and more desperate as the situation gets more and more desperate, Rosanna, that nothing's off limits. Well, I think, you know, it's it's another extension of Extinction Rebellion, which basically blocked up London for 10 days or whatever. You know, I think I think it may not be respectful, but it is effective and it is impactful. And so you're in agreement with Oshin Smith then today, the <laughs> minister. I think he got into a bit of hot water when he said basically he understood their motivation. But, he, you know, when he was saying that, he was speaking to a group of young people who are the ones who are going to pay such a massive mm. price from this. So I know he rode back, but it has been effective, it has been impactful, and maybe it's not respectful, but, you know, we're all talking about it. All right, we're going to leave that there for now, but after the break, we want to discuss the downfall of Kanye West and sports stars speaking out against the Qatar World Cup. Stay with us. panel of Alan Shatter, Rosanna Cooney and Lorcan Nyan are still with me. And I want to start, uh, Lorcan, with, I suppose, the downfall of Kanye West, which he has, I think, completely brought on himself. But you might just bring us through the remarks that he made and what has happened since that. Yeah, well, look, without going into in the huge specifics of the remarks, he, he would have made remarks, and look, over a number of years, he's made a lot of kind of outlandish statements and a lot of very, very uncomfortable remarks at various different stages, and he took it a step too far. He made plainly anti-Semitic anti uh, remarks, doubled down on them, and in his, his subsequent comments, you know, 
just compounded the issue um, and it, it kind of brought it to a head where he got to the point where look it was it was unacceptable he was emboldening the, the totally wrong kind of people giving him a figurehead and now corporate America uh, has left him um, corporate America you know even if you look at look, Adidas have taken a hit of about 250 million and, and this year by severing their connection so for a company like that as capital as they may be to right. cut that cord it's huge and look natural uh, Rosanna, Spotify though, they're still playing his music, aren't they? Is this a, you know, is this a difficult position now the fans are finding themselves in? I think Spotify have come out and said, you know, we're not happy with what he said, but dot dot dot. Yeah, I think what Spotify said was, oh, he didn't, you know, he didn't say it in a podcast that we're hosting. He didn't say it there. He said it, you know, we're not removing his music. It's nothing on the platform that he's actually said there. But I think what's interesting is like, you know, his popularity was so strong for his initial albums, but the last three have barely made a hit. Like he hasn't had a hit, you know, listenership has been dropping off. And what's so interesting now, I think, is like he's got his kind of representatives out trying to sell his back catalogue for a nine for a nine figure deal. And there's no bites, which I think shows like fans are still listening. I think there's their own question there. You know, how do you separate art from the artist? Are you loyal to his music, to him as a person? But I think that's interesting now that, you know, people don't want to invest in his music the same way they might have. I think there was a huge deal for Justin Timberlake, you know, but no one's buying Kanye West back catalogue. As you said, corporate America has walked away and they've walked away to the tune of half a billion at this point. Lurking. Yeah, and which, look, look, is rare, you know, and I suppose, look, they're obviously only doing it because of pressure, but at the same time, you still have to welcome the least the pressure is working. Um, and when you see big things like this, I think it, you can celebrate at least that bit of it, that once there is pressure, once there is backlash, it does tend to happen. But look, America... But it's just... taken a while, as you said, because he has had previous form and a lot of these brands stood by him in the past. Absolutely, and you see the list, the consistency law firms, etc., who have now severed ties with him. So, I mean, the, the catalogue of people he had sponsoring him and, and making relationships with him was absolutely huge. And look, just America is so polarised and because you can now walk around the media and almost walk around these sponsors with social media and reach people, it's very, very dangerous because once you get a figurehead like that who is as famous as he is, um, and he is incredibly, incredibly influential, uh, it is quite dangerous. Um, and so you've seen, in, you know, once these people get the platform, they lose some of their power, but now he's looking like he might want to buy one of the platforms, so therefore he keeps his own platform. So I don't think this is the end of the story. He's talking about parlor, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he, he, he's looking into it anyway, I yeah. think. Yeah, I'm conscious that when we're having this discussion, Rosanna, that this is a person who isn't very well. I mean, there have been conversations about his mental health, um, and, you know, it doesn't excuse what's happening, but does it shed a different light on it? I think, I think definitely for fans, you know, you've got this tricky situation where you have to have a level of compassion for someone who has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, who is quite clearly having, you know, multiple mental issues and breakdowns and mental health issues over a long period of time in an incredible amount of public spotlight. And there is that element of it. But I think what Lorcan was saying is then you, you there's, that's one and that's kind of a nuanced issue, but perhaps the very clear cut black and white issue is the money, is corporate America, is who is sponsoring whom, who is funding him and who is willing to back him continually to put products out there, to have his views out there. And that's something that yeah. shouldn't be you know, that, that's a very separate issue, I think. Um, a person's mental health doesn't excuse this type of offensive behaviour, though, does it, Alan? No, it doesn't. And um, uh, it's no excuse of any description. Kanye West has travelled... Kanye has travelled this before. Um, he has produced a narrative 
that is becoming too frequent and too popular. It's not unique to him. What he said got the public focus because of who he is and because of his enormous social media following and because Tucker Carlson had him on Fox and did an interview which contained some of this content and which edited out other parts of it which became public knowledge. Look, this isn't just Kenya. I mean, I can say to you as a member of the small Jewish community in Ireland and someone who's writing about this issue at the moment and who's been researching it, uh, anti-Semitism was covert and disappeared for a number of decades after the Second World War. Uh, early 2000s, it started to become more prevalent. In the recent years, there's a huge upsurge of anti-Semitism. It's not unique to the United States. It's happening in the United Kingdom. It's happening in Ireland, more largely online, as opposed to in other contexts. And you would have experienced uh, that yourself. Oh, I've been targeted by it. It's, happen it's happening across Europe. And this is a real enormous concern. Mm -hmm. Look, it's become commonplace on the streets of New York uh, for uh, Orthodox Jews who are of readily identifiable because of the clothes they wear, to be physically assaulted. It's happening almost on a nightly basis in New York. It's happened on the streets of London. And is one of the difficulties here, Alan, that people other than the Jewish community aren't calling this out? Well, by and large, until relatively recently, mainly it was the Jewish community, mm. and very frequently it was being called out, but no one cared, and it didn't matter. Um, and what is interesting in the Kenya context, uh, and I'm still working my way through this, uh, in the sense of understanding the dynamic of it, is some of those who've been readily uh, happy to run with anti-Semitic tropes in the United States in the last two or three years, uh, in the last few days on Twitter, condemned Kenya. But if you go back to their own Twitter feed, they were saying things just as bad. And much, of what, he, see the and, and much, much of what he had to say, um, it isn't new, you know. This was being said in the 1930s in Germany. There was movements in, the, in America where individuals had 10, 15,000 people in stadiums saying exactly what Kanye had to say, perhaps saying it more articulate, articulately than he had to say. So it's not just him. It's, it took Adidas, frankly, too long to respond. It's good that they have responded. And uh, really, the music industry right across the board needs to address this. OK, speaking of addressing serious issues, we have the World Cup coming up in Qatar, starting on the 20th of November, Larkin. Um, the Australian football team have been really critical, haven't they? They've put out a social media video today being critical of uh, Qatar, calling out, I suppose, some of the issues that have been spoken about, perhaps not explicitly and not enough mm. um, in, in that country. Do you think it's going to make a difference? I'm not necessarily sure if it's going to make a difference, but I still think it's, it's really, really good to see. I think anybody who hasn't seen the video sh should go and look at it because I think it was very well crafted. It was very, very well thought through. Um, and basically, they're, they're criticising two things directly. Um, number one, the treatment of migrant workers and they're seeing themselves as workers um, who should defend yeah. workers' rights. And then also the treatment of, of the LGBT community um, in Qatar. And I think they call out very, very well. They acknowledge progress has been made, but they also say we need to take a stand here. And I think it, it was well put together. Let's just take a quick look at that video. We have learned that the decision to host the World Cup in Qatar has resulted in the suffering and in the harm of countless of our fellow workers. These migrant workers who have suffered are not just numbers. As players, we fully support the rights of the LGBTI plus people. But in Qatar, people are not free to love the person that they choose. We stand with Faith Bro, the Building and Woodworkers International and the International Trade Union Confederation seeking to embed reforms 
and it'll establish a lasting legacy in Qatar. Uh, Rosanna, so that's the teams taking part, one of the teams taking part, um, you know, raising their voice, taking the stand, and I think it'll probably put pressure on other football teams to make political statements. But what are the concerns about fans, particularly LGBTQ fans, who might be travelling to Qatar? And what's the message going out to them? I think there's huge concerns there. You know, are they going to be safe? Do they even feel comfortable contributing to an economy that doesn't accept them? And it's it's such a massive issue. And like, the, like that, as well as the migrant workers that are working there, you know, the Guardian analysis put the number of people who have died at 6,500 working in that country, and the Qatari government acknowledges three. So, you know, there's huge issues around both supporting this World Cup, going there as a fan, and contributing to a, a situation of circumstances which is yeah. unbelievable. I'm just conscious that the FIFA president came out today and said, look, this is an opportunity for Qatar to present themselves to the world in a different light. Do you buy that, Alan Chatter? Well, the problem is they want to present themselves. Um, I don't think the World Cup should ever have been played in Qatar. I would love to know what went on financially behind the scenes to bring that about. Uh, but the reality is uh, the Australian team are right. Uh, the perspective of the LGBT com uh, community uh, in Qatar is not unique to Qatar. It's something that happens, unfortunately and sadly, right across the Arab world. I mean, we had the horrendous incident uh, only two weeks ago when a young gay man who his family lived on the West Bank and who took refuge in Israel, was living in Israel, was kidnapped by some Palestinian relations, taken back to the oh, West right. Bank and beheaded. So, so okay, the, 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 there's a real issue. It's like that happening all around but, the world. But there's a real issue about uh, the gay community, how they're treated. And from what I hear and what I'm seeing, okay. uh, gay football fans are largely going to give Qatar a miss. Sorry, Lorcan. Yeah, so I, I think some people will, will look at this and they'll say either two things. They'll either say, look, let's keep politics out of sport, or they'll say, well, these are still going and you're still playing. And I think on both of those, sport and politics are they're intertwined. You can't keep politics out of sport because sport exists within our culture. And everybody who isn't saying anything as they go out there and play, and they should go out there and play, it's not their fault that's there. That's a political statement in and of itself. So I think we need to hear more of it. And sport and politics are intertwined okay, in a very, big, big way. Very, very quickly, Rosanna, I know you're devastated. The Ford Fiesta is gone. It's no more. 47 years in business. I don't know. What, what, what did the Ford Fiesta ever do to anybody? I don't know. But, I, you know, it's so interesting. Ford has this amazing history in Ireland. It, it was, this is where we had the first ever Outside America factory in Ireland in Cork. Employed 7,000 people. We had this amazing history of Ford. And now it's gone. You know, it's an iconic vehicle. So, that's How is anybody going to learn to drive anymore? <laughs> I just don't know. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it there. My thanks to Alan, Rosanna and Larkin. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms and you can find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight the MTV from all the day team here good night take care this is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series